Hey, everybody. Keith here. Live in the lab. Live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. Bringing it in with some Theory of a Dead Man. Good Canadian band. Medusa. If you guys like uh, Theory, I would encourage you to give them a listen. Um, very much rock and roll. You can see how they've introduced some new sounds to their music and a big fans. So check them out, Theory of a Dead Man. Um, but what you got to check out is what's coming up here in a couple of minutes. Really excited about our guest, uh, Kevin Maney. He's an author in specializing in technology and business topics. And let me tell you, I quickly said hi to Kevin before he uh, jumped into the room today. And uh, behind him is a bunch of guitars. And Kevin's in a band. And we all know who listen to the show and you all know who know me. I love tunes, love music. We're bringing it into the show. So uh, I suspect we're going to have a conversation with, with, you know, with, you know, in the, in the business athlete performance lab here with Kevin about music as well. So stay tuned for that. And we're just gonna have an honest chat. Uh, he has authored books like intended consequences, unhealthcare, unscaled, um, Oh, unhealth. Yeah. Uh, play bigger. He's co-authored books. He's been all over the, the media and uh, I think we're gonna have a great chat. So why don't we, why doesn't Keith stop talking and why don't we bring in our guest, Kevin Maney. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Awesome. It sounds like fun. Yeah, I, I think that, that's the point. Right? Like I said to you when we kind of, we, we, we quickly kind of had the pre-chat and my, my comment was, uh, you know, the world right now is all about trying to grab somebody's attention and earballs and hopefully somebody hearing my voice is, okay, what's he going to say next? Because we want to keep them listening to us. Right. So, you know, you kind of speak with a hook and you kind of leave hooks. And I've listened to enough talk radio and talk shows in my lifetime where you think, okay, they say that to get the listener to last that much longer. <laughs> so Kevin Roland says, Hey Keith, you got to talk to Kevin. I'm like, Oh yeah. He goes, yeah. Check out his resume. So I pull up the resume in LinkedIn. You can find Kevin in LinkedIn and it's, it's endless. You've, you've written tons of books. You've been all over the media. Um, where do we start? I know where we'll start. How will we start here? So we're in the business athlete performance lab. Uh, we're big proponents of weaving wellness and fitness and all those, you know, emotion, all those attributes that make us better in business. You could be successful in business, uh, a successful musician. What do you do? Jump into it. What do you do to keep yourself, your human, you know, on, on, on top track, Kev? Uh, I play soccer. <laughs> so it's interesting. Two days ago, I had a baseball guy. So, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking when I got into this, we were talking to marathoners and runners and, and people who ride bikes and lifters, like just kind of the stuff, I'll say this, that old people do, walk around the block, right? You play soccer. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I mean, I, have, I, um, I grew up in, a, I grew up in Binghamton, New York. Yeah. Upstate New York town in a neighborhood that was largely populated by um, first or second generation Eastern Europeans. And so, you know, while other communities were out there playing, you know, baseball and football, mine was, you know, all about soccer. So I grew up with it and, and uh, you know, played it all my life. And I'm, 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 I may, I'm, I'm, these days, I'm always like the oldest guy on the pitch. I love like it. 20 years. Yeah. And, um, and I can still keep up with those 20 year olds. I, <laughs> I love it. I, so it. it I found when I started this show and started talking to people that, you know, that, that are in business, that they secretly have these sports hobbies that we do. And like I said, baseball and you play soccer. So do you call it soccer? Are you calling it soccer just for my respect and our, and our listeners respect or because you knew up growing, because you know, growing up with all your friends, it was football, wasn't it? Well, yeah. And, yeah. and in fact, you know, like, so I live in New York. Yes. And, uh, 
um, you know, and and when, actually one of the things I, I love about playing here is that you go out on a, on a pitch and, you know, you're with people from 30 different countries, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, um, and, and so, you know, I've made friends from all over the world doing this and, um, and you get, yeah. And, you know, of course they're all calling it football or football or something yes. like that. Yes. But, um, but, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that, um, one of the things that I think is really, really important in life is to find things to do that make you forget about everything else. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I have, and I have two things that I do that are that one is play soccer and one is play music. Love so it. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm on stage playing in front of a group of people, there's nothing else I can think about except for what I'm playing at that moment. Right. Yeah. Um, or if I'm on a soccer field playing, there's absolutely nothing else I can think about except playing. If because if I think about something else, somebody's gonna like wipe me out, right? Maybe. Yes, yes. I, I lose my concentration. So I, I, um, I love having that in my life. And in fact, I, you know, if we, either one of those things were taken away from me, and for some reason, I'd have to find something else that is like that. That's fantastic. How often do you play soccer? Like how often are you on the pitch? I try it for 20, you know, usually twice a week, unless I'm traveling or something yeah. interrupts it. Um, and uh, so try for twice a week doing that and rehearse with the band, um, usually, you know, every Tuesday night. Um, and we play around, you know, maybe half a dozen times through the year. And uh, all that, you know, kind of keeps me much fresher for actually having to think about things later. I love it. So we're going to get to the band in a few moments. Trust me. Cause when I heard, when I saw that and I heard, and I haven't listened to the tunes, um, but I saw you were in, a, I saw you play music and so forth. I want to stay on the sports angle for a few moments here. So in my mind, I'm thinking that playing soccer, playing football in, in, in New York, is it, are you in New York city or New York state? New York city. Yeah. So I'm thinking in my mind, I have this magical, I'm, I'm closing my eyes right now to those that are listening on the podcast. I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking that I'm playing soccer amongst these caverns of massive tall buildings and there's it's just this magical feeling am i correct um well uh sort of <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, so often, i often end up playing it's actually kind of cool one can help me sell this man help me sell this yeah so i often end up playing most of the time i'm playing in brooklyn which is okay across yeah the river from yeah and and most of the time the field that i'm playing on is close to the river so you're basically playing on this field you're over in brooklyn you're not actually surrounded by the skyscrapers but the Manhattan skyline. Is that is beautiful. I can envision that. I've and been to Brooklyn and I've been, I, I can, I've seen across the, the river there too. So I can imagine what that looks like. That's it, magical. It, it, yeah. It's very, it's very inspiring. And so, and, and once in a while I end up playing with, with a group that plays in Central Park. And then you go, you know, every once in a while you have to stop and go like I'm playing soccer in Central Park. In yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Right. It is really cool. Yeah. It, and good on you for, not taking it for granted like really right because it's easy to do so right it's easy to it's easy to run down the pitch on you know and, and look across the the river there and see the manhattan skyline and say oh it was new york city right or be running down in, in central park but to, to have that awareness uh that that's to me that's magical frankly just to kind of pause and go yeah because a lot of people don't do that a lot of people just kind of go through the moment and then wait something just happened yeah no it don't you know, and it, yeah, don't lose that because I've I've lived my adult life through cities. One has been New York, and one has been the other has been Washington D.C. And I never lost my offer either one of them. In fact, like even with the soccer thing, we sometimes end up playing with people that um, you know right on the uh, ellipse across from the White House, and yeah. you know, you're, you're standing there seeing the Washington Monument and the White House, and I'm going, I'm playing you know a sport here, and it's just you know you can't lose your amazement for that kind of stuff. 
I don't know about you, but when you're running down the pitch, like you're thinking like you're 20, right? Like you're 18, 20, you just, you know, your hair is flowing. You can just see back and then, and then you're done and you get home and you sit down on the couch or get into bed. And then you recognize that you're probably closer to a different age. I know that's how I am. Right. Isn't that true? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I often recognize that. Well, my head is one age. My knees are another age. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. The knees. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's the sound I have when I walk up the stairs here. Those crinking and crunching and crunching knees. Right. Oh, it's not just me then, Kevin. No, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, so outside of soccer and outside of music and physically. So um, do you meditate? Do you do you do you do things to take care of your mental state or or is or is or is doing those activities uh, enough for you to, you know, like you said, c- keep your head clear so that when you step into the business ring, you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, those those are those are my big escapes. Yeah, those are my biggest escapes. Well, then let's just. Um, then- yeah, uh, yeah not, I mean, other people have meditation, religion, um, you know, cooking, uh, all these other different kinds of things, but you know, that's these those two are my big escapes. Interesting. So I had a guest on uh, last week, Sardor, Sardor Akhmadov, uh, an app, runs an app development company down in Southern Florida. Great guy. And uh, we were talking about hobbies. And his comment was, yeah, I don't have a hobby. And I said, you know, Sardor, it took me, well, well, I'm 51. It took me 51 years to recognize that I don't have a hobby either. This is my hobby. Like I got, you know, uh-huh. and some would say, yeah, but you're a workaholic. Yeah, but I, I don't know, like talking to people or creating or building or perhaps in your case, writing books or, or like, when you're doing something you love, it's, I don't know if there's such a thing as a hobby. Is, is, is hobby an old school term, Kevin, kind of back from our old era, do you think? Well, like, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because actually it's true. I mean, people don't use that word. It's a side anymore. hustle now, right? You're going, when, you say, when you say hobby, it's, you, you, you kind of picture somebody like in their basement with trains. Right? Yes, like, yes, oh, okay, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a but, side hustle that you monetize now, isn't it, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Look, I, I mean, I love the that writing has been my profession, and in fact, um, the other half of writing is that because you're when you're when you're a journalist or an author, you're writing nonfiction. It's also a license to learn about things, right? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, you know, writing, uh, being a journalist for a major publication is like a ticket to be able to ask anybody anything, you know, at the highest levels, and and so that's, I mean, that's a that was always a wonderful part of my job is being able to learn about anything I wanted to learn about. Yes. And, uh, um, and then the other half is that I, I've always, I've always, always from the time I was a kid enjoyed writing and putting together stories and words. It's like a great, it's a, it's a puzzle. It's uh, you know, it, it's a conversation. It's a lot of things. And, um, and, and, and if I'm really working on something that I really enjoy, I, I, I totally get in that, you know, that flow state with writing. I mean, you sort of lose track of time. You lose yes. track of, you know, you're, 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 you'd be sitting on a pincushion for all you care, you know, you're in that state. Um, and, uh, so I, yeah, I, but, but the other, but the other piece of that is that, uh, you know, I actually, I think, I think that writing, especially writing like something that is, um, a big project, a book or, you know, a giant major essay or something like that, it, it is, is some of the hardest thinking you can possibly do as a person. Uh, I'm sure that mathematicians who work on like giant formulas about like, you know, there's something like that. It's, you know, or, or coders who are trying to put together a million lines of code to, you know, create some new thing have the same sort of um, uh, feeling about it. Cause that's, they are actually in some ways forms of writing. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just, you know, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a terrifically hard mental exercise. So 
I think that's one of the reasons that it's helpful to have these other things that are completely take your brain completely away from it once in a while. That's interesting. So I, I enjoy writing. I've never, I've never professionally written like you have. I'm curious when you say it, it's, it's, it's one of the hardest things expand upon that. Cause I, cause perhaps to many writing is not difficult, but when, when you use those words that it is one, what, you know, it's to, to somebody who's writing code or a mathematician who would look at you and go, what do you mean? It's, it's not hard, Kevin. You're just putting words together. What do you, what do you mean when you make that statement that, you know, it, it could be the most difficult thing you do? Um, well, uh, um, <laughs> bad writing is easy and great writing is hard. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that it's so hard is because, um, so I've collaborated with a, with a, collaborated with a lot of, um, CEOs and, um, thought leaders on, on what everything from op-ed pieces to full length books. And one of the things that I've, I've just discovered about the, the act of writing and that, um, is something the act of writing brings to these kinds of people who don't necessarily write but are brilliant thinkers is that writing it down requires enormous discipline of thought yes because everything has to everything has to flow in an order and everything has to connect to each other so you know you sit down with a brilliant ceo for instance who's you know known for a lot of great ideas but their ideas typically are like you know there's this one over here and there's this one over here and 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 um and they may all be be wonderful but um then they 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 want them to add up to something, and 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 being able to connect all of those together in a way that makes sense and becomes a story, um, and, and actually forces you to, for instance, throw out things that don't fit with the story or add new things that do. Um, but all of that is it, it it requires to take all of that sort of random thinking and all these great ideas and all these you know you know what. Um, things you might talk about in meetings or whatever else, but actually apply a, um, a very strict discipline to all of those things so that they actually all connect and create a, something that's larger than each individual piece by itself. And that's the part that is really so hard. I mean, yes, it can be, it can be a challenge to find, you know, the exact right word here or create, you know, the, the, the put the right sentence together, but that's not the real hard part. The hard part is creating that complete, uh the arc puzzle yes that 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 all makes sense together and adds up to something bigger than each individual piece fascinating kevin is a is a good communicator a good writer um not always um i i've met people who uh I, so one of my co-authors yeah. um and uh, of the book play bigger is this uh, this fellow named christopher lockhead who also has a very popular podcast by the way yeah yeah hey chris we'll get you guests on the show hey chris. Now, chris 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 is a you know i mean chris is a a good writer um but he's the most um one of the most brilliant off-the-cuff speakers that i've ever run across I mean, you just put him on stage and give him a, you know, throw him a Scooby snack or something. And, and he, you just, go. He, just yeah. turns into, he just turns into a fountain of, you know, of things that sound amazing. Yes. Yes. And, and if you asked him, if you asked him to write all of that before he went up, before he went up there on stage, he would, he, he, he probably couldn't do it. Um, so there are, there are definitely people who like are these unbelievably brilliant thinkers on their feet um, who are you know, would, would actually struggle to write that stuff down by themselves. 
Um, and uh, and by the same token, um, you know, my I am, uh, you know, I, I maybe you can tell from this interview, like I, I grew up as, as being able to express myself better than any other way in writing. Mm -hmm. If I really need to say something to somebody and have it really all make sense and mm -hmm. hold together, I'll write it mm -hmm. because I, I am not the best like off the cuff speaker. I mean, if you put me on stage without me already structuring what I was going to say, um, I would, I would have a hard time. So would so, you say that yeah, I, you're, I you're in your uncomfort zone right now? No, I mean, I'm not uncomfortable. It's just that I'm just saying like, I, I, I know I can't be as brilliant as for instance, Chris Lockhead. Yes. Off the cuff. Chris, I don't think can be as brilliant as I might be able to be if I'm sitting down and writing something on paper. It's, I, I really, you know, I've seen this over and over again. There are kind of this, there is this kind of two different, sort of um, types of people in the world, that, two different types of great communicators. Let me put it that way. Since you started the question off with, about communication. It, it's interesting to hear you say that, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Maney, guest here in the Live in the Lab podcast today uh, with myself, Keith Billis. Uh, we're talking about communicating and writing, if you're just jumping in. It's interesting to hear you say writing it down or speaking, because sometimes I think when we as humans, I know myself, I got to go into a big meeting with somebody or with, or it's maybe it's a personal meeting, whether it's my, my wife or my kids, you say, okay, I got all these things I need to say. Do I write them down? Do I like write a script for myself so I don't forget anything? Or do, do I just kind of make it off the cuff? And then you kind of revisit yourself going, well, no, I don't want to write it down. That's too formal. And that seems kind of weird. Then I'm going to read off this note. But in reality, <laughs> but in reality, what a wonderful practice if you can kind of get in the kind of, if you can get into the habit of thoroughly expressing yourself, writing it down, and then addressing the person you want to speak to and not be afraid to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, there was, there was a, um, uh, there's a phrase, there's uh, a quote that's attributed to a, for an old author named Daniel Borston. Yes. And uh, I used to have it on my, I don't have it on my desk anymore. But I used to have it on my desk. And the quote was, I write to find out what I think. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that is absolutely true for me. I mean, if I have to think something through, the best way I can think it through is to write it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not too dissimilar. One, one of the one of the most brilliant apps I've downloaded on my phone, and it's such a, to the creators, they're going to cringe if they hear me say it, but it's this app called TOT, it's three letters, T-O-T. -T, and really what it is, it's essentially, um, it's five disposable, quote unquote, digital disposable pieces of paper that I just kind of go, blah, throw my thoughts on it. And then when I'm done with it, there's nothing else I can do with it. I just erase it. So, but, but the simplicity of it is the magic because then I can take what's up in my head and then just dump it out. That's but, but since, and here's where I'm going to take a conversation next is in the world of generative AI. So as a writer, I'm really eager to yep. hear your opinion and discussion around this. So AI has made me a better writer and I'll explain that in a second, but what it's also done for me is it's become my notepad. So when you use that cliche of, you know, I, I you know, for me to write, I get to, th I got, I got to think I have to write instead of writing my notes in a notepad anymore. I just dump my notes into a conversation with GPT and we just kind of talk it out. But, but how it has made me a better writer is I've learned the better that I can communicate with it, the better it'll communicate back and give me the results. So I'm thinking that if you're ghostwriting for me, you want to say to me, Keith, clearly communicate to me how we want this to go so that we can deliver it in the tone and voice that you want it to go. What is your opinion? What is your thoughts? How has it impacted your world? Let's talk about chat GPT since it's been in front of you in the last 10 months. 
Yeah, I'll answer that. But then I actually would like to hear more about your usage of it. About using absolutely, those. yeah, yeah. And because that that's be interesting to me. I mean, it's been fascinating to me to hear over and over, like what different people are doing with it. Yes, and uh, because everybody's everybody's trying stuff out right now. Um, and uh, so for me, I I um, have not used it to help me with writing itself. I feel like at this point in my life, I've got my process and I know what I'm doing. And, um, and I guess, I guess I would say that, you know, maybe for me, writing is like the equivalent of, um, you know, somebody who uh, is a master or tailored, you know, clothes designer who makes everything, you know, clothing from scratch and right. you couldn't possibly, right. you know, duplicate that in any factory. Right. Yes. So ChatGPT is something like a factory um, for, you know, words and thoughts, you, you know, that's the, it, you know, it can help people create nice stuff um, that's, that's very, um, you know, that's very appealing, but it can't quite cross that border into like what a um, handcrafted designer might be able to make. Right. And so yes. I, I think, you know, I, I get to be the handcrafted designer. Um, and so you know, I feel that the, that the chat GPT stuff doesn't help me write, but it does help me um, research and understand things. Like, uh, you know, if I have a general question that I just want to, it's, it's a little more complicated than just typing a couple of words to search for, uh, you know, I'll use it just to gather some background information. Sure. So I, I, I am, as a, as a you know, longtime journalist, I'm very wary about where these things come from. It doesn't yes. tell me the sources usually, all of that, that bothers me a lot. Yes. Uh, oh man, we have a lot to talk uh, about. Yeah, but as long as I'm not actually like um, using it as uh, uh, accepting it as as truth, but using it as a prompt to help you understand something, then that's you know that that's helpful. It's um, it's another tool, isn't it? It's another tool, and I, I I I've said on this show all along that so I use it for everything, you know, admittedly, and I mean everything. Um, any any meeting I go into in advance, I ask GPT. I'll say, "Hey, I'm going into a meeting with Kevin. Here's Kevin's stats. What should we talk about?" Because because I, I say to myself, "Like, why wouldn't I?" Right? Or if I'm going into a meeting where I know nothing about the company or organization or the industry or whatever, you know, "Hey, GPT, I'm going into this meeting with such and such industry. What? And here's what we're talking about. What should I be thinking about? What should I be asking?" Right. So it, it gives me that pre-context, right? And then and then I'll go to the meeting and then I'll quickly, literally on my phone, you're asking how I use it. I just opened up the GPT. I started a new conversation. And I'll say, hey, I just had a quick chat with Kevin. Here's what we talked about. And I just I just basically dump my brain into a conversation with GPT. So and then and then I leave it there. And then when I'm ready to come back to it, I come back to it. Right. So but but the key for me is not to not to keep having different conversations in the same thread. Right. So I'll put Keith and Kevin's chat over on the side and then I'll come back to it when I'm ready. And then I'll go to my next meeting. But I literally use it for every single, every single, every single thing I do throughout my day since I, and that's really what allowed me to create these things we're doing here in the lab is um, seeing the power of generative AI and how you can create content and create crazy things. And uh, as a result, we've been creating some really neat things in the lab. So I'm interested to you, you know, to hear from you as an author. What, what, where's your, where, where's your, what's your thought? What's your feelings on the copyright issues that many authors around the world have been kind of standing up and saying, hey, you trained your data set on my work. I need to be compensated for that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been, you know, 
an activist in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that's true. And I, you know, I, I'm very interested in how this is going to play out because yeah, you know, I mean, I've written a bunch of books. I've written a lot, a whole lot of, you know, uh, articles and things that I own the copyright on. And if chat GPT or any of these others are digesting that and, and spinning it back to people without even referencing where it came from, much less paying me for it, that's not right. And, um, and I think that's, that's gotta be sorted out and, and we'll, you know, we'll be sorted. I mean, people are already taking, you know, court actions to, to try to figure this stuff out. And uh, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I, I wonder to what extent it does get sorted out though, Kevin, like I wonder if it, you know, cause I, as I, I pay a lot of attention to this and I, it makes me wonder whether it becomes like the new privacy, right? So if we think about the internet 15, 17 years ago, you know, privacy was kind of like, ah, oh, we were just doing everything on the internet until it was, until we woke up a few years ago. Well, yeah, privacy is pretty important, right? Where it, and then just kind of come an accepted standard. So copying text off the internet and copying content off the internet to many people just becomes maybe is, is it just become an accepted thing? Does it ever really get sorted out? Right. You yeah, know, here's the, dif- here's the difference. Um, I, 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 I willingly, I mean, you know, maybe to a lot of people not knowingly, but I willingly trade my privacy for something. Yes. Right. I, so I, do I. I give yes. Google my privacy so I can use its maps. I give Google yes. my privacy so I can, or I give Facebook my privacy so I could have, you know, connections with my friends or something like that. Um, yeah, I kind of know what I'm getting into when it comes to, you know, open AI or somebody else yes. ingesting my work, I'm not getting anything for that. Um, and, um, and I'm not willingly doing it to me that that's stealing. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. There's certainly an argument to be made for that for sure. For sure. So then do you, what, what do you vision the internet or what do you envision, you know, yeah, the internet looking like as we, as we continue to move forward? Is it, is it paywalled? Is it, is it, because our digital publishers saying to themselves, nah, I'm not letting my stuff for free. So to get behind it, you got to get behind the paywall. Is, is that the internet we're moving towards over the next couple of years? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how that's going to sort out. I mean, I mean, it did, you know, look, but that started to happen with journalism and, um, you know, people are either putting stuff behind paywalls or, you know, you've seen this now in Europe where, um, uh, you know, um, publishers have sued Facebook and mm-hmm. and want to, uh, you know, they have to pay for the content now. And um, so, you know, I mean, all this, again, it's going to take time because regulations and laws and lawsuits and corporate cases or whatever like far far behind the technology yes. that you know gets going don't we know that and, and look you, you even see like you know i mean this is the, the, this is you know always been a theme right i mean you look right now for instance in places like new york or other places that um, are finally having this big pushback against uh, airbnb mm-hmm. you know i mean it got way out ahead of what you know uh city governments could possibly you know deal with or regulators could deal with and then turned into a problem for cities. It was, you know, uh, you know, investors are buying up houses to put on Airbnb. It's raising housing prices. It's leaving people, um, you know, with no low cost, low cost housing. I mean, it's become a, it's become more of a problem. And now, finally, cities are taking action, and it's going to be a problem for Airbnb probably at this point. So, I mean, these things are going to happen. This is going to take time. Yeah, it's 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 that's certainly the case. Things are going to take time. Kevin, 
you mentioned a word a few moments ago that that uh, that I jumped in my head at, and uh, and Roland is sending me it. Producer Roland right now is texting me. He's all all looks good. So we got the green light from Roland there. Thanks, Roland. Thumbs up, pal. Um, this is uh, good. Our th- thirty minutes into our chat, uh, Kevin, you mentioned truth, and uh, earlier this week uh, I launched a new uh, new product, perhaps new company. Uh, called Truthbox, truthbox.ai to those that are listening. And uh, we launched a video uh, to, to, to publicize it, a 90-second video. I would invite you to check it out after the call. But um, I want to talk about truth. And I want to talk about truth and narratives in a world of fake, questionable, generative AI content. What's your view of truth in 2023? Well, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, that is that is that is one of the biggest problems for society right now, right? I mean, Isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's uh, scary, Kevin. Well, you, you know, uh, there's there's a um, you know uh, there's this comedian Jordan Klepper who goes uh, and does these inter- you know he's like a but used to be with uh, the daily show and, you know, he does these, these bits on YouTube where he goes and interviews um, people at some of the Trump rallies. And and this is not necessarily pro or negative, you know, Trump or anything like that, but it's just like, if you watch some of those and you, you, you see that people's absolute convictions of what reality is, is, um, so far off from what another group of people's absolute convictions of reality are. Yes. And, and, and it's not, it's not just beliefs. It's like actually convictions that that's what is really happening in the world right now. And, and that's, what's, I just don't even, I don't understand how we put that back together. Well, we don't Kevin. And then, and then what's really in, from my point of view, really scary is that there's a third layer that people aren't considering it either, or maybe even the fourth. So the first layer you mentioned is, okay, that group over there agrees with that fact, that truth. This group over here agrees with this fact and this truth, and they don't disagree with each other. But what about the other group that has been digitally made that aren't actually real, but they look real? Right. Because, that, because, I, because I've created that. Like I've, I've, I've been able to create digital humans that are saying things and believing things that I can put in front of you. And you're like, yeah, but that's not real. No, it's not real. So how do we reconcile that in a couple of years where that gets tossed into the equation as news and media and content starts coming to you and you're going, okay, so first of all, is that true? And then is it authentically true? I think that's a question that people are thinking about, but aren't ready yet for. Do you follow what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, and this even goes to write the, the, the heart, the heart of, um, you know, the, the, um, writers and actors strikes it does yes because um look you know whatever you can imagine that ai is going to be able to do and and create um even if it's not possible now i guarantee you it's going to be possible in you know five years oh it absolutely is yes and and uh you know so right so right you know writers and actors are looking down the path and saying well you know you know, can AI, AI is going to be able to create, basically digitally create a very human-looking actor saying lines that are digitally created by a very good AI that can write a script. 
so you know it's uh I, I don't have answers for you keith on this because it's all this is all new territory for humanity right like it's like how how is this going to turn out i i actually don't know um i mean i would love to be in some of these negotiating sessions with the writers and actors guilds in the hollywood studios just to hear what the conversation is like and what people are really thinking is going to happen yeah it it, it it is a fascinating time i and you know experts predict you know two years from now 95 percent of the content on the internet will be generated by ai right so we look at maybe model collapses we look at ai generating ai and and at, at the at the pace that it's happening is is bewildering to me and like i said i you know we have you know we we have a, a major u.s election coming up in, in 13 14 months and it's gonna be the first ai fake election or ai election ever on the planet so what's that going to ha- how's that going to ha- proceed right so it's i i find it a really fascinating time you have so you know let's let's talk a little bit let's weave music into it right we're hearing some of the first ai generated music uh yeah. nominating for the grammys and the grammy said no no hold on a second here no you can't put the drake and weekend song in for the grammys and and uh, but what i found interesting i don't know if you heard this kevin but the the, the ghostwriter that wrote that track actually put an offer out to the weekend and Drake and said, Hey, um, you guys can get royalties on this. Like your voice now is an asset. Let's monetize it instead of hide from it. Right. So I thought that, I thought that was interesting. Cause now, now I'm saying to, cause you have instruments, man, you know, you have instruments behind you, you have guitars behind you. So, you know, your guitar is an asset that makes sounds. Well, so is my voice. So let's, now let's, let's monetize my voice. I find that really fascinating at that point of view. Sure. Yeah. Well, that 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 uh, the singer Grimes, the, the one who yes, and you know, Elon Musk. I mean, she essentially proactively did this, and she put put a right put a, a statement out that said, if anybody if anybody out there uses you know my voice, writes a song, uses my voice to create that song um, through AI, um, I'll split the proceeds with you 50-50 instead of suing you. You know, that's uh, you know and. I thought it was actually a really interesting experiment. Well, it's fascinating because it's definitely not the, if you recall back when Napster was out and and Metallica, it was basically anti-Napster and Lars and the gang were like, no, no, we can't put our music on Napster. And it became, it was a kind of a pivotal moment in that whole digital rights music and, and so forth. And and what's happening now is and instead of swimming against the wave, let's just go with the wave, right? Here's my stuff, go and put it out, right? So, right. yeah. Let, but, but, you know, I'm... Um, but you know, like, I, the the one thing that I think one thing that does, um, as a writer for thirty some plus years of about the technology industry, um, well, all of this stuff is like new and interesting and scary, and you know, and, and it has big implications and all that. Uh, I think the conversation tilts a lot towards that, and not as much towards um, the benefits that are that are um, going to be possible because of this and. Um, you know, like the book, you mentioned the book on healthcare that I wrote with um, the CEO of General Catalyst, and and that was really basically about how AI can change health healthcare and and what's coming down. You know, I mean, we we live in America. We live in like the most messed up healthcare system on the planet. Oh no, no, I, I'm going to debate you. Sorry, I live in Canada. Yeah, uh, we're I think we're in the most messed up healthcare. System. And I'll tell you, and I'll, I'm going to share something that I haven't shared with anybody on the show, but. Um, sure. My, 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 my mom is, is aging in front of me and she, you know, I, I, she's now entering the healthcare system and it is a pain in the ass, frankly, 
right? So I was before our call, I was on the phone phoning into the United States saying, hey, can my mom come on down to get some CT scans and ultrasounds done? Because, uh, oh, how can you get? Oh, yeah, we can come down next week. Great. Because you know what, Kevin, here in Canada, uh, it's just probably a few months away from getting that done. So sure, yeah. sure, her taxes are paying for it, right? She's paid her share of taxes to pay for that. But I, I don't know. And listen, you know, I don't know if there's a right healthcare system, whether it's my country or your country, but um, they're messed up. But but please go on and, and expand yeah, upon yeah. your, your comment. And, 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 my, and my, my daughter lives in the UK and, and uh, the <laughs> National Health Service over there is just, as, you know, having the same struggles. So what's the yes, answer, they're Kevin? Their own unique ways. But yes. That, yeah. What's the answer? Is, is it what, what is well, the answer? there's a there's at least a promise here that um that ai in different ways can um can have a big impact on both the cost of healthcare, the availability of healthcare. yes i mean look one of the things that one of the things that uh that that is uh driving most of the problem with healthcare is because healthcare is a very scarce thing right there's only so many doctors so many nurses so many hospitals um and and they're serving um an enormous you know, population. And in fact, um, as the population gets more and more unhealthy because of obesity and diabetes and all these other things, there is um, more and more of a population that needs chronic care, you know, care. Um, and, and all this is just overwhelming the system, but it's all because of scarcity. Yes. And, and one of the promises of AI in very different, in various different ways, um, it is, um, is an ability to uh, to to eliminate that scarcity, right? To create abundance and certain things. So here's here's one quick example of a company that I, I encountered through the work that I'm doing with you know the General Catalyst CEO because we've written a number of books together, working on another one now. Um, I ran I ran across a company that he helped fund um, called Hippocratic AI, mm-hmm. and um, and one of the um, beginning principles is was of it was that okay look there's an enormous nursing shortage um it, i mean there's something like in the us alone there's something like 200,000 nursing jobs that are un, you know un, positions unfilled and 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 even if you fill all of those there's still a, a shortage of more fewer nurses than there should there should mm-hmm. be to care for the population mm-hmm. but on the other hand especially i mean everybody but especially somebody with some kind of a chronic disease would be far healthier and far less uh, having to enter the healthcare system and, and do, have costly procedures done if they had a if they only had a nurse by their side twenty four seven, right to help keep them healthy to, mm-hmm. to give them advice to answer mm-hmm. their questions. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not possible, you know, because of the population differences between nurses and people. But if you could take an AI and uh, as this company is doing, and spend a year training it on um, what nurses know and what they, what, you know, what they, what the advice they give, and um, and on these different diseases, and um, uh, and then release that onto the world so that you and I, um, if we were to, to have to use this AI, it would also be able to learn about us individually, mm-hmm. um, over, you know, over time through our actions or through mm-hmm. questions and mm-hmm. answers, and conversations. You know, ChatGPT can mm-hmm. basically have a conversation with you, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn about it. So now it's got all this nursing knowledge and now it's got all this knowledge about me. So basically in software, this would be able to recreate the idea of, of nurse. nurse in your pocket. 
um, they're 24 seven to help you manage whatever health condition you have. Now it's not gonna replace, it's, and, and this whole thing about jobs and everything else, I mean, there's, yes, there's certain worries, but like in this, for instance case, the actual human nurses now get to do what human nurses are supposed to do, which is the hands-on stuff, right? The, the patient care next to you in the hospital bed, the giving you uh, an IV and all these kinds of things. Um, so they get a lot of this sort of administrative and question answering stuff off of their plates, can actually do the jobs that they're trained to do. And now this AI can be with me every second of the day. If I have diabetes, say, and I need to understand how to manage it or you know, have somebody answer my question or tell me when there's going to be an episode I need to take care of or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, now it's not only going to make me, uh, it's going to make me healthier because I can take care of myself better. It's also going to keep me out of the healthcare system. So some of that gets less overwhelmed, adds to the, um, the less scarcity of the healthcare. And, and so if you have things like that are happening everywhere, across the healthcare system now in little in all these different various pockets and it's going to happen in all sorts of other sectors too um and 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 so there is this hope that if if um you know if this kind of stuff plays out that it can alleviate this burden on the healthcare system alleviate some of the scarcity stuff lower the cost of healthcare for most people uh, make it more available to the people who really need it and and there is a chance that this technology, if deployed well, uh, could actually do a lot to better your Canadian healthcare system, yes. your American healthcare yeah. system, the NHS, every place else. So, you know, there's there's some real good that can come of this, aside from all of the things that people are afraid of. Yeah, you, you raised some great examples of how AI can be used um, to help those. I know, I know my, I know we have used it ourselves here in the lab. We uh, uh, earlier this year we built a uh, an AI with a bunch of you know, coaching and healthcare knowledge and so forth and uh, um, trained it to do some really cool things. And then I, I, I used a few different AIs to help myself diagnose, uh, not self-diagnose, but to, to go through my biomarkers, right? So I, I got some, I got some recent biomarker tests done. I sat down with a couple AI and I, and I had conversation with the AI regard, with my biomarkers and it was spectacular, Kevin, because it wasn't because I, I felt heard it sounds bizarre but i felt heard right and and, and i was able right. to have a conversation i was i got, I got in, insightful responses because in my experience when i go to the doctor it's you got to be in you got to be out what 12 15 minutes and it's just short answers and nobody's really digging into the questions i was able to sit down in my my living room and and have a conversation with the ai about you know why my why my tsh levels are low like why my thyroid's out of whack and talk about the implications of my how it impacts my cholesterol and and i know Many people would say, yeah, but Keith, you can use Google for that. No, but not really. Like the conversational insight and the comfort yeah. that I had, right, was, was spectacular. And then I read a great piece in the New York Times a while back, an, 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 uh, an opinion piece, which was a doctor who said that they discovered how GPT taught them empathy. They were using it prior to going into, into difficult conversations with families. They found themselves you know, prepping the GPT to say, hey, I'm going into a conversation with the family where this is this, this, this is this. What's the best approach I can sit down with Kevin and his family to deliver the news and, and, to, and to be empathetic? And I found that another remarkable way of, of teaching a human how to, you know, use the technology to connect to another human being. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it's, that's right. I remember reading that same one. You did, eh? yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, the, the, it's, it's going to be amazing how all of this, 
you know, all this ends up uh, affecting society. And, you know, like one of the things that um, there's a, there's a, a theme to some of this, to what you were just talking about, yeah. for instance, and yeah. um, that, um, that I've written about a, a, quite a number of times. And it's that for, you know, maybe 70 years of, of you know, data technology being, you know, created software, computers and all that, um, what was essentially happening it was that we, we had because computers were essentially so dumb yes compared to compared to us right yes even even the most advanced ones today i mean there's you know they're dumb compared to us yes um we had to learn how to conform to them mm. um you know the, the creation of computer code language in the first place was because computers were so stupid that they couldn't understand our language mm -hmm. We had to invent the language that a computer could understand, and we had to learn that language so we could help talk to the computer. Mm -hmm. And that's played out, you know, basically over 70, 80 years of, of you know, technology. What's interesting about what's happening with ChatGPT and all these other technology AI technologies now mm -hmm. is that they can understand us. Yes. So instead of us having to conform to the technology now the technology can conform to us mm -hmm. and that's exactly the experience you had like mm -hmm. i'm gonna have this conversation and mm -hmm. learn about my health be because because now you can be you and the technology can can comprehend that and that's that part of it is only going to get more and more pronounced over these number of years all these things that you might think about about like how do i have to like figure out a technology to be able to use it is going to go away. Yes. The technology is all going to be able to understand us. Even if something as simple as a microwave oven, like, you know, right now um, I have, I don't know, a piece of steak in the microwave that I sure. want, that was in, my, in the freezer that I want to dip, thought. I got to go to the microwave and think about like, okay, like how, what do I do? What buttons do I push? How much time? How much? Yes. Power, whatever. You know, as AI flows into everything, I'm going to be able to just go to the microwave oven and said, "I've got the steak. It's you know, I, I need to just uh, to you know uh, to defrost it. Yes, do what you have to do. Put it in and just do it. Right. So that's what I mean by technology conforming to us. So what do you say, Kevin, to those that are saying then that, or those that would say to you, yeah, but then Kevin, technology is going to make us more dumb because then there's no thinking about what I got. I just, I literally got to just move the stake from one spot to the other. And I don't got to think about it. What, what's your response to that? Well, I mean, yeah, we don't have to think, I mean, okay. So I don't have to think about like um, how long to put the meat in the microwave. Yeah. That I, to me, that frees me from having to think about that. So I can deal with, you know, other things that are more important. Um, and uh, so I think that's the sort of the general premise here is that, I mean, look, we've been, we've been, you know, we've had Google for 25 years, years or yeah. whatever it's been 25 years. And, yeah. uh, and it hasn't made us dumber because instead of having to remember who starred in that movie that we saw five years yes. ago, we can just Google it. Yes. I mean, we're not dumber. We can just find the answer now easily instead of having to well, and that, that, know it. That's my same argument with teachers that are saying, well, no, you guys can't use chat GPT. I told my kids to become experts in it. I said, if a teacher says don't Absolutely. use it, tell them to call me. That's the I said, if they say you can't use it, then tell them to call me because I'm going to tell them to use it even more. Because if you're not going to yeah. use it, it's, it's like saying to a kid, well, you know, you shouldn't use a calculator. You should use the syllabus or go use those marbles over there and count things. Right. So I think that Kevin, yeah. to me, to me, the difference, I'm, I love this conversation, by the way, because you're a tech writer and I'm, I'm a tech nerd. Um, 
to me, the difference with AI in 2023 is that unlike the iPhone, unlike the desktop computer, unlike the other, you know, except for the internet, we were able to see all those revolutions. Oh, what's Kevin holding? Oh, it's an iPhone. Oh, what's, uh, what's Keith? That's a, that's a desktop computer. So we saw those physical manifestations of, of society changing in front of us. With AI, you don't see it. It's, 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 it's creeping into every product we touch. And before you know it, you wake up and everything has an AI in it or part of it or, or, or running it. And I think that's going to be the difference that a lot of people just aren't perhaps paying attention to. It's like we're in a renaissance period right now. We're going to wake up going, wow, gee, actually, we're, we're living in a simulation. Like, what's real? And I'm not trying to get all matrix on us, but <laughs> it, just, it starts to, you can see how you can go down those paths as a nonfiction writer. You really can. It's hard. It's, you can. Yeah, no, it's true. But, but I'll, 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 I have a couple of quick reactions to that. First of all, AI has been creeping into everything for 20 years. Yes. And uh, so there does seem to be this demarcation moment when ChatGPT yes. came out because it kind of made us all go, oh my God. But that was actually the culmination of 100%. You know, of decades of, of work on AI. And, you know, I mean, this is why, you know, the, the you know, captain in your, you know, plane that you're flying in could fall asleep and it's yes. like, you know, get going because AI is driving it. You know, it's that, so it's been around for a while. But the other thing is, um, I've been around a long, long enough now <laughs> that um, the first book I ever wrote um, was this book called Mega Media Shakeout. Yeah. And it, and it came out in, in April of 1995. Okay. Um, and it was uh, based on reporting I'd been doing for several years as a writer for USA Today. And I had gotten kind of caught on to this whole you know, at that time, information super highway. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Interactive television, and 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 especially this idea that media was going to go digital, which was a new thought in the early nineties. This right. idea that media was going to become a digital thing, um, and um, so I I wrote this book that was basically based on what happens when media goes digital, like what and and you know how is it going to affect these different industry sectors and and our lives and all that. And uh, so it came out in April 1995, and that summer was when Netscape went public, and 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 it was that kind of blow your mind moment for um, this new thing called the internet. The dot com era was born. Yes, yes, I remember. And because of that book, I got thrown into the middle of it um, because it was really like the first book out about this idea of digital media. And um, and I got hauled into boardrooms and in front of five thousand people conventions to to speak. And, and by the way, I was the worst speaker in the world at that particular time in my life. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but um, but everybody was in that. What's happening now reminds me so much of what happened then. Yes, because people didn't know how this was going to affect their companies or their businesses or their lives. People didn't couldn't quite get their heads around it. And, and the reason that I was getting hauled into these things was because they were grasping at anything that could possibly tell them something. About yes. This. And, uh, I, and so, you know, I mean, all these years later, what's happening now with generative AI is a bigger deal than what happened with the internet then, but um, just because it's multiplied over all these years and, you know, no, it, but, but it, it's, it's, it's a definitely, a, it's definitely a, an echo of that, time and place and how things happen then. Um, and, you know, so we're going to just like 
that happened. I mean, that the dot com era launched, you know, five years of craziness. Yes. Uh, that ended up crashing, and then and then and then a few years later, the Googles and Facebooks yeah. and all of those companies were founded that created like this next generation of real stuff that we, you know, has really made a difference in our lives. And I would not be surprised if that's what we ended up seeing here. Um, a few years of like craziness and all the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies being created that they trying to figure out what to do with this stuff. And, yes. You know, everybody getting confused and, and, and grasping at any answers. Um, and it's going to have uh, some kind of come to mama moment. Yes. When, when all the, all the, crazy stuff is going to go away. And then at that point, the, the real stuff that's going to really change our lives and change the world is going to emerge. I, I'm sure it'll happen faster than it did in the dot-com era because everything seems to happen faster now. But, you know, I think it, it give it a you know a few few years time for that kind of valley and, and uh, rise to happen again. Yeah, I, I heard Reed Hoffman, you know, famous, you know, LinkedIn investor and sure. founder of LinkedIn, it said the exact same thing, right? Which I suspect that we're going to see the same... You know, it's it's history repeating itself, isn't it, Kev? It's just basically, you know, and I and I I would say some similarities happened uh, as the internet was, you know, launching social media and people started figuring out what that was like, and that whole industry kind of became of its own, right? So um, that's where I when I started, that's when I launched my previous internet company as the internet was kind of growing up and social media was starting to come, and you know, and I made a career over there. Um, but when I look at what's happening around us now, it's eerily similar to me. It really is eerily similar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forget who it was that famously said the history rarely repeats, but it always rhymes. And yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's happening. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hey, it's, it's Keith Bills here and Kevin Maney live in the lab. We're 56 minutes in. What a great conversation. Kevin, we, we generally have to keep our guests for an hour. Um, I don't know if you have the hard stop at 60 minutes, but I, you do excellent. So I want to take one quick minute then. Pitch music, man. What kind of tunes do you play? What's the band all about? And uh, give us a minute on that. Sure. Um, I have for age, ages. I've always loved. I love to write music. I write a lot of. I write a lot of music, and uh, um, and so the to me that that's the part that I really love. Like the performing and the expression of it is a way to get that out. But. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I write a lot of stuff that probably sounds like the things I grew up on in the seventies and eighties yep. and, um, and, uh, who's your influence uh, who quickly, who's, who's your musical influence who name one, I, you know, everything from the clash to the Beatles to, uh, Springsteen, Tom Petty. All right. All nice. Guys. Okay. So, so, so producer Roland, we got to get Kevin back on to do a show purely on music. I'll pull the old turntable out. Kevin will bring his guitar in and we'll, uh, we'll talk yeah, tunes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I have, a, I, have a, I have a band here in New York called Total Blam Blam. Yeah, that uh, plays uh, plays around town, and uh, and and when I can, I go into a recording studio and record stuff. So I, I, uh, you know, it, it's really something. I, it's it, it's my hobby to go back to our earlier. Conversation. It's it's your hobby. It's your hobby. Kevin Maney talking us out over some theory of a dead man. Uh, Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the lab today. Um, I got to be honest with you. I, I probably could have talked for another hour with you, um, but I need to be respectful of your time. Uh, I, I think I think I could have covered so much more. You got plenty to talk about, but I just ran out of time. So I want to be grateful and thank you for joining us today in the lab. 
any closing comments or things you want to say before we say goodbye? Anything you want to plug? Uh, books, anything you're writing, music, yeah. go ahead and take a time to plug it right now. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, you know, we didn't talk at all about, but like, I, uh, you know, the most successful book I've ever been a part of has been this one called Play Bigger. Yeah. Which created this uh, concept called category design, which um, has turned into a, a strategic consulting business that helps startups with their business strategies based on what we wrote in the book. So, um, uh, yeah, we didn't, didn't talk about that at all, but that's like a big part of my life these days is uh, working with startups and their strategy so well, let's bring that back then so we'll bring kevin back for its for show number two maybe he'll be our first second show guest so we can talk about the book play um uh and and, and how he's helping startups today maybe he can he maybe can help keith today but uh kevin i don't want to keep you from your next meeting so i want to thank you for jumping in and uh i will uh i'm going to close off the show if you can stick around for one quick second uh everybody it's keith dillis here kevin maney we are live in the lab live in the business athlete performance lab and we are uh we're signing out for today Thanks, Kevin. Keith, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you.